0: Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. But this new series today, we're looking at the life of Paul. And this is the truth according to God. And so we're going to begin this series, we're going to walk in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And it's going to be fun, there's going to be adventure, there's going to be challenge, and there's going to be a a better understanding of God's grace and His heart for you. So for us as followers of Jesus, besides Jesus... Besides Jesus, the Apostle Paul has had the most influence and significant impact in Christianity in, in, in the world. And so this is important for us to take some time and, and walk in his footsteps. And so if, if you're new to faith here, this is what we do. We walk through either books of the Bible or characters of the Bible, but we allow the scriptures of, of, of the word, we allow them to determine what we're going to teach. Instead of finding a topic and then finding scriptures to, to like, attached to it Um, whether they're contextual or not we don't do that Um, and if we do speak on a topic it's within a context of a passage of scripture that speaks to the topic so we're going to be on a journey with the apostle Paul and tracking with him so over the next several weeks God's going listen to me God's going to rock your world I, I, I promise you that I know it's a big promise but it's not based on my authority it's based on the word of God that he wants to flip your world upside down amen are you guys with me They say amen? amen? All right, good. So this is what, what, I'm, what, what I really believe. And so there's gonna be some incredible truth through Paul that's going to, it's gonna shock you, actually. It's going to challenge you. And the Apostle Paul, before we get into this message today, which is also gonna rock your world, from Paul, we need to understand who this man is. The Apostle Paul, he wrote 12 of the books 12 to 14, depending on who you think wrote which one or 13 or 14 of the books in the New Testament. Through his writings, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. We have the understanding in our Christian faith of our righteousness through Christ, through his writings, reconciliation to God through Christ, justification because of Christ, sanctification, redemption, identity, and God's salvation for us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we get all that from the apostle Paul. And so many times we have, a, we have adopted a Christian view of Paul. It's like, hey, Paul started out of the womb preaching, right? Because we have, a, we have the books of Romans and Galatians and the prison epistles. And we're like, wow, this dude, I mean, he was like, he came out of the womb and, was, and turned to his mother and said, you should receive the grace of God. Like, that's not what actually what happened. That was a weird picture. Sorry. Okay. So, so, <laughs> so anyway, so that's what we think. But, but if you think that, if you don't understand where this man came from, you're going to miss actually The heart of God. It's it's of utmost importance that you understand who this man, Paul, is. You need to prepare yourself for some disturbing realities about this man, Paul. He came from a Jewish family. He was brilliant. He studied under um, one of the leading scholars of his time in Tarsus. His family was one of influence. Before his name was changed to Paul, after his conversion, his name was Saul of Tarsus. Tarsus was one of the, the, the major educating, religious educating, you, you could call it, universities of its time. And his, from his conversion of, of faith to the end of his life was around 10 years. So this dude had some motivation. What he accomplished in 10 years I honestly, I'm like, what have I been doing with my life? Like this guy, like, like he he was in Jerusalem and the disciples were like, Hey, um, we're going to stay here and figure out how we're going to do church. And, and, you know, we're going to have the, the, the council and, and Paul's like, okay. So Jesus said, Jerusalem, Samaria, the ends of the earth. He's like, so you, you 12, you have Jerusalem. They're like, yeah, we got Jerusalem. He's like, all right, I'll get the ends of the earth. And that's, you see see this this incredible man who was on a mission. He was resilient. He was driven by the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was whipped for proclaiming the gospel. He was arrested. Many times, Paul would, I just, I love Paul. There's something about Paul. I'm like, man, oh, I like this guy. He, He found himself in the midst of riots, preaching the gospel He traveled from town to town preaching about Jesus. He made and he sold tents and he preached the gospel. That's how he, he was bivocational. On one occasion, he was preaching the gospel and they hated him so much. They were so ticked off at him. They beat him and they started throwing rocks and stones at him and they drug him outside the city because they thought he was dead. Very possible he could have died, we don't know. It says that the disciples gathered around him and he came back too. And so his next move, his next move, like you and I's next move is like, forget this. Like, forget that town. Forget those people. Like, I'll shake the dust off my feet. I'm out of here. His next move was to go back into the city and start preaching again. The dude was driven. And he was driven by the grace of God. This man, for there's a lot of memes out there, this man, he was built different, let me tell you. He was built different. There was something about him. And so Paul, he may have been widowed, we don't know, but what we do know is that when he wrote the New Testament, he was single. Much of the book, book of Acts, is following Paul from city to city. Luke, the author of the book of Acts, traveled with him. And Paul is a man on the move. I was fortunate enough to visit one of the prisons that he was held in. It's right outside, if you go to Rome and there's a forum uh, outside the Colosseum, right outside, many people don't know this, just as, as you're walking, if you're looking at the forum, just at, at the back of the forum on the other side is the prison that he was held. And so you have to go out and walk around, but I, I went there and visited there and, and I, I, just, I, I just was like, man, the apostle Paul was here, was here. Like this, this is not some character made up by some storybook. This man was the real deal. And he carried the grace of God. But I want you to picture Paul before his conversion when he went by the, the, the name of Saul of Tarsus. This was a devout follower of Judaism. In our first introduction of Paul. So this is the first, when we first see him in scripture, he's standing in, the, in, in agreement in the killing of a young man named Stephen. And the reason Saul of Tarsus was standing there holding the coats of people stoning and killing Stephen was because Stephen was preaching about a man named Jesus and that this Jesus was the savior of the world, the Messiah of the Jews, and the only way to God. And Paul was standing there in agreement with his killing and his murder. Now, Stephen was a Jew. He'd been transformed by Jesus. Jesus had risen from the dead. He had walked 40 days after his resurrection. And this young man had committed his life to the service of Jesus Christ, to the proclaiming of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't didn't commit his life to Judaism. He didn't commit his life to the synagogue. He committed his life to preaching and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And Acts 6 tells us that Stephen was a man of grace, full of grace, spoke with authority, he was full of the spirit, he was a man of wisdom. And that as he was dying, as he was taking his last breath, Stephen looks up to heaven and it says that his face shone like the face of an angel. Paul's watching all of this. Sorry, Saul at the time. And Stephen prays out loud, God forgive those who are persecuting me. And so as the blood spatters from the rocks being pummeled against Stephen's body and probably some of the blood spatter landing on Saul's garments, he's gotta grin, he's gotta smile a little bit and celebrate this young man's murder because he hated followers of Jesus. He hated the name of Jesus. He vowed, he vowed, the vow of his life was to wipe Christians and Christianity off the face of the earth. And he says, I'm doing it in the name of Yahweh of God. So this is the place that we find Saul. This is the pit of darkness in which Saul or Paul came from. And it's important for us to understand and see that because it gives context and understanding about the message of his ministry for 10 years. This was a man who was about God's grace. And for us, we need to understand what does that mean for you? So often we can can drift from the original message of the Bible or of the gospel. And so this is the first picture we see of the Apostle Paul. He is enraged with anger. He is not satisfied just with killing believers in Jerusalem it's like it's it's like he's 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 on another commission there's a great commission is bring hope to the to the world Jerusalem Samaria the ends of the earth he's like I'm going to bring destruction to Christians from Jerusalem he then goes outside of Jerusalem he's on his way to to Damascus to find more Christians to kill he's gotten arrest warrants from the from the high priest of the synagogue go arrest them eradicate them and that's what he's doing he's a man on a mission. And so we come to Acts chapter nine, verse one, and I'm gonna, this is, the whole context here is one through 22, I'm not gonna read all of this, but I'm gonna skip around a little bit. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way. Now, the beginning of Christianity, after the resurrection of Jesus, which we just celebrated, On on Resurrection Sunday, we just celebrated this on Sunday. It was called the way. And the reason why it was called the way, because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. So no one comes to the Father except through me. So I'm the way, I'm the gate, I'm it. And so the early church was called the way. They weren't called Christians. They were later actually called Christians as, uh, as, it was derogatory and they said, no, that actually fits us well. We are like little Christ, so we'll take that name. But originally they were called the way. So Paul's like, anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he went on his way, verse three, and he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, Now there was a disciple in, at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him that is, he may regain his sight. But Ananias answered, <laughs> now this is great because Ananias has heard about Saul. Ananias is a part of the way. He's a follower of Jesus. So Ananias, so like God gives him a vision. Go here, pray for this Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And Ananias answered, Lord, um, I've heard of this guy before. Are you, are you sure? This is, uh, um, I've heard how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And I know he's here on authority. So somehow he'd gotten word on authority from the chief priest to bind all those who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen, listen, listen, this is very key. He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And so this is a very crucial piece. So Ananias goes and he prays for him. Uh, Paul receives his sight and he begins to eat again and gain his strength back. And something has switched. Paul has been changed. The old has passed away. And now he's a new creation. And here you have in verse 19, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately, immediately. So th- this, is, this is the theme of Paul's life. Whatever he, he, whatever he does, he does it now, now. I'm gonna do it now. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues saying that Jesus is the son of God. And all who heard were amazed. Isn't this the man who, who, who like wreaked havoc in Jerusalem? And those who call upon the name, now he's preaching the name. So this was the conversion of Paul. And it's so important we understand this as we get into the series. We don't have a lot of explanation about what drove Paul to being so angry and murderous. But what we do know is that he was in bondage. What we do know, he was not living a life of peace. He was driven by the law. He's driven by the letter of the law. The letter of the law that he later writes is death, but the Spirit gives life. He was driven by sincerity to please God by his works, by his actions. Why was he killing Christians? Because he thought it was what would earn him God's favor. He thought he was on God's side, he thought he was doing what God wanted. And Judaism of the law was all about following the rules. You better do it. You better do it right. If you don't, you're going to die. You better dress right. You better speak right. You better wear all the right stuff. You got to wear the, the you got to do all the prayer show, You got to do the prayers. You got to get to the synagogue. You got to make, everything was about you. Your works, your effort, what you do. And we, we see the manifestation of the law in Paul's life. Later, he writes in Galatians that he says that the works of the flesh are anger. They are, um, what's the passage? It's, it, I can't remember. Sorry. It's getting it my mind. Anyway, it's anger. It is, uh, it's, uh, it's infidel, like immorality. Excuse me. I'm going to get there. Immorality, fits of rage. I, I mean, you see all of this in his life. Murder, fits of rage, angry, he's driven by anger. Why? Because he's working for his righteousness and the works of the flesh are anger. They are fits of rage. They are immorality. So the more you try to earn God's favor, actually what it produces in you is actually more flesh. But then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, even self-control is a a fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't say the work of the Spirit, the fruit of it. In other words, the work has already been done in you, and from that work flows the fruit. The work is you trying to please God, but from that flows anger, flows immorality, flows more flesh, flows flows, uh, murder, all of it. You see these two contrasts here. So this was, this was Paul who was trying to earn God's favor, who was trying to earn God's, like, look, God, see, I love you. Look, God, I'm earning my righteousness. Look, God, and he is, he is knocked to the ground. Jesus appears to him and begins to minister to him. He was sincere. Friends, he was sincere about wanting to please God. But here was the problem. He was trying to please God through Paul, not through God. He was trying to to earn God's favor. He's trying to, look, God, I'm righteous because of what I do for you. He was sincere. But it's important for us to understand that sincerity and works doesn't save you. This was the message of Paul's ministry. After his conversion, he was introduced us to the gospel of God's grace. This was the message of everything he said: your sincerity, your good works, your actions to earn favor and please God cannot and will not save you. He understood it because he saw it firsthand in his own life. And so, Paul, seeing that his life was driven to earn God's acceptance through the works of the law, led him to destruction and to the the destruction of others. This is what the law does in our life. If we think that our favor and our position before God is based off of our behavior, it will lead to our destruction and it will lead to the destruction of others. I don't know if you've ever known someone that was like a a, a legalist. Now, all of us are... are, are all of us are recovering Pharisees. We're gonna to have to wrestle with that our whole lives, okay? All of us, if we're not careful, can fall into, you know what, I, I actually think, I, you know, I can please God. And then all of a sudden we go, but you're not pleasing God. All of us are, and a legalist always points out what's wrong, right? A legalist always says this, you know, yeah, that was a great service. Yeah, but did you know that song was written by Hillsong? Oh, was, was something wrong with the song? Well, the words were good, but I don't know who wrote it. Oh, did, did you know? I mean, God was moving. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, Pastor Dave, though, he, he read from the New Living Translation. <laughs> and the legalist is always like, yeah, but what about this? What about this? What about that? Man, God's presence was so powerful. Yeah, but there's not a cross on the stage. That's what a legalist does. It can't see what God is doing because they are so focused on the law, finding something. And Paul understood. And so Paul commits his life to bringing the gospel of grace. Now this message of grace is what transformed my life as a teenager. A youth pastor, that's why I love our youth pastor, Mr. Bill. Love him, man. He believes in the gospel of grace. But I remember, I remember Gil Auduburn in Paducah, Kentucky, youth pastor at Cornerstone Church. I grew up in a legalistic Pentecostal type of teaching. My parents weren't that way, but it was, that's the church we had. It's kind of like the only hot dog stand on the the streets. Well, I guess let's go there. And it was all about performance. It was all about behavior. It was all about it was all about when when you come into God's presence, you you better you better recognize you're, you you are you are filthy, you're nasty. It was all about rules and laws and uh, I, I mean you, <laughs> I remember my brothers mowed the churchyard and and the pastor wouldn't let them wear shorts in the summertime. And listen, their legs are hairy and gross anyway. I don't know what the problem was, but anyway, you know it's like like I don't understand. They couldn't take their shirts off. Well, you know that's not that's not godly. I, okay so everything was about rules and laws. One time I was in church, true story. <laughs> I was in church and uh, I was sitting in the back with my buddy, it was a Sunday night. And, uh, and all of a sudden the pastor, as he got up to preach, he, uh, he calls my name out. And he asked me one question in front of everybody. Jason, are you chewing gum? I was like, yes. He said, come up here. They're not just a life-giving church. What a great pastor. <laughs> so I walk up, and he's at the pulpit. He says, here, just put it right here in the pulpit. So I put it there. And I go back. And to me, God was a God of rules and don'ts. And shame and, but thank God, we were delivered from the horrible place. And we went to a church in Paducah, <laughs> <Baruch>, Kentucky. <laughs> and Gil Otterburn was telling me, I, I, I remember this conversation. He said, said, Jason, do you understand the grace of God? Apparently, he could see my life, I did not. Uh, and I said, yeah. And he started explaining to me about my position in Christ, about God's grace over me, that it's not by my works that I'm saved, it's not by my righteousness that, that God loves me. It's because of his son Jesus that God loves me. And that transformed my life. I never i will never forget I wrestled with that for days because it didn't make sense because it was rewiring my brain. That's what the, the gospel of God's grace does. It rewires your brain that, was, that was, is organized from the beginning to think you are the ones that, that please God. You're the ones who can gain favor. You're the ones who can earn your righteousness because of your works. But that's not the grace of God. That's not the message that Paul preached. So do you know if you were to ask anyone, not in church, So if you were to go anywhere and say, hey, let's just say there's a heaven, there's a hell. How do you get to heaven? You know what they would say? Well, I guess you've got to be a good person. I guess, I mean, you shouldn't murder someone. I think you should be responsible. Uh, You should be honest. Uh, You should serve people. Um, And what you would hear would be works-based, how to get into heaven. The qualification for heaven is being a good person. That's what you would get. But here's what's true. Many of us in the church think the same thing. I mean, you might say, by the, by, by the blood of Jesus, yes, but then we think, yes, I get in by the blood of Jesus, but I stay in by my good works. Yes, I'm forgiven by his grace, but I maintain that forgiveness by How much I show him that I work for him and earn his favor on my life. This is the exact thing that the Apostle Paul spends the next 10 years of his life speaking to and preaching the gospel of God's grace. Grace, It's about the truth of your identity. See, after we are saved, there's a performance mentality that all of us struggle with. And the death and the resurrection of Jesus tells us we did nothing to earn God's grace. What did you do to earn God's grace? Like, what? let me ask you this question Why did Jesus suffer and die for you? Why did he do that? Because he loves you. Did you love him? Did you have anything that he, that, that he thought, man, I tell you what, if I do this, then they'll do this for me. You know, if I, you know, it's like an exchange, right? No, no. You love him now because he first loved you then and he still loves you. So this whole idea that you've done something that would cause God to show his favor on you and save you is a lie. And Paul spends his whole ministry debunking that idea. The cross demonstrates to you that you cannot make your way to God, but it is God that made his way to you. Ephesians 2.8 says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. Look, I want you to read that. That's what the Bible says. So that no one may boast. God knew our human nature. And that if we could do something to get us in, then we would boast about it. Paul thought he could do something to get himself right with God. And it destroyed his life. This is the reality. That one of the most important things to establish in your life is what you believe about your identity. What you believe about your identity will determine your destiny. It will determine your destination. What you believe about your identity is the single most important thing that matters and you must settle it. That's what Paul does for the next 10 years of his life. You become what you believe. See, Satan cannot keep you from getting saved. Yes, he blinds the eyes of the, of the unbelievers, but we preach the gospel. And, and just like the scales fell off of Paul's eyes, as you preach the gospel, the scales fall off of the unbelievers eyes. There's all these arguments. Yeah, but you know, the unbelievers, they're blinded or the Jews are blinded. Yeah, you're blinded until you're not. You're blinded until you receive the gospel, then you're not blinded. Paul was blinded until the scales fell off. This idea that you must be anchored to the truth of what God says about you. And since the enemy can't keep you from being saved, he will keep you anchored to your old identity so that you you become what you believe you are. It doesn't change your position, though. He doesn't want you living from the spirit, so he tells you you're anchored to the flesh. Say amen to that. Now listen, this is gonna rewire some of your brains. Some of you aren't gonna like this. So this is, your belief must be anchored to what is true from what you learn about yourself must be from a greater authority than you because your mindset is flawed. What you rehearse in your mind and your heart about who you are will impact all your decisions. John 8, 32, Jesus said this, you will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free, set you free, set you free from performance, From the law, the truth that your righteousness is not connected to your performance. So, the truth will set you free. So, today, I just want you to get this your righteousness before God is determined by Jesus, not you. This is the message of Paul, this is declared over your life in the scriptures. This is hard to fully understand because, because you know you and you know, yes, but I don't always act righteous. I know, but righteous is your position that God has set you in because of Jesus and your faith in him. And because he declared it, whether you, whether you like it or not, whether, whether you, you feel righteous, meaning, if, meaning you are right standing before God, not because of your performance, but because of what Jesus did on the cross for you. Okay, and I'll close with this because I need to close with this and I did not get as far as I wanted to. But Romans 5. So this is the passage. I'm not gonna read the whole thing out of of 5, 12 through 19. This is Paul, again, unwinding this idea that, that this is somehow about us because this dude tried it and he failed. And he starts talking about just as sin came into the world through one man who was Adam, and we understand that, and death through sin... But because of that, death spread to all men. So we are all born under the curse of sin. But I want to think about that. None of us would argue at all that sin impacted all of our lives because of Adam. No one would say that. No one would say, yeah, I don't know. I don't don't think Adam's sin really impacted me. Nobody would say that. That's in the church. Nobody would say that. So Paul is navigating this. So he goes on to say this. Verse 17, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and free gift of righteousness reign in life through one, man's, one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so he's speaking about Adam, so one act of righteousness, speaking about Jesus, leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience that many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Okay. So when we were sinners because of man's sin, Adam, let me ask you a question. Could we undo our position as sinners by doing good? No, all of us were confident. No way. Uh Uh-uh. Nope. That was your position, wasn't it? So, so you're saying if, if, if I fed the homeless, if I clothed the naked, if I went to church, if I gave all my money away to the poor, if I didn't murder, if I didn't lie, if I didn't cheat, if I was nice, obeyed my mama, loved my wife, and was kind to my kids, that no matter what I did, I could not undo the fact that I was a sinner. Is that right? So no amount of doing good could make you righteous. So what Paul is saying is that Adam plunged humanity into the grip of sin. An unrecoverable state of sinner. You were a sinner. But according to what Paul says, now by one man's obedience, Jesus, and our faith in what he has accomplished, we are made righteous. So after you were saved, did you do something that the Bible says not to do? Raise your hand. After you were saved, right? 100%, all of us. But I thought you were righteous. Just like you were a sinner, no matter how much good you did, you couldn't become good. So, why do you think that you could undo the righteousness of Jesus over your life? through your works, but you know that you can't undo the righteousness that comes from Adam, but yet you're believing you can undo the righteousness that comes from Jesus. So you are, you, listen, you are confident in the sin of Adam, aren't you? but your confidence in the righteousness of Jesus has something to do with you and your works. This is what Paul's dealing with. He's dealing with just like doing good cannot undo your position as sinner before Christ, so, so also, not doing something the Bible says to do or doing something the Bible says not to do after your position has been made righteous before Christ cannot undo your righteousness because that's your position now. And so we live in this world of lies. That, the, that Satan anchors you to, that when you fail, when you don't live up to what God is calling us to, to be and, and who we actually are, we then say, I'm not justified. I'm back with Adam. But when we're in Adam, we're like, nothing I do can actually make me good. But when we're with Jesus, we think, my goodness and my righteousness has to do with what I, what I do. It's a lie from the pit of hell. When you put your faith in Christ, your identity changes. Second Corinthians 521 says this, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Philippians 3:8 I am found in him not having a righteousness of my own. In other words, you don't have a righteousness on your own. You can't do righteous things and earn righteousness on your own. It doesn't you can't get righteousness from works and duty. But my righteousness comes through that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. When we put our faith in Christ, we enter in to Christ. When God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus. And through this series, I believe God wants to shatter off of you this old man that Satan has you anchored to that keeps you from living from that identity when really that's not even where you are. You are, you are the righteousness of Christ. You're, you're, not, you're, not just, you're not just covered by the righteousness of Christ. Through, through Christ, you are the righteousness of God himself. That's why you can come boldly into the throne room of grace. That's why you can walk out the promises of God that are all yes and amen in the scriptures. That's why as you stand, as you stumble, when you come and you, you fail God, because we are all being sanctified, when you come to God and you, and you mess up, you're like, Lord, cleanse me, forgive me. You're not repenting to be reestablished to your righteousness. You're already righteous. You are coming to God to be healed in your own heart, to be rewired in your own brain, that he would help you to see that's not who you are, son or daughter. This is who you are. Now walk in the way in which I've made you. Many of us think this, that God's always saying, You can't measure up. You better shape up. You better get with it. And you are in bondage because you're looking for the perfection of a righteousness that you can never attain through your own behavior. You'll never find it. Jesus came so you can be free from this mentality and rest in the fact that if you are in Christ, you are secure. You don't have to feel insecure about God's love. He loves you, he approves of you, he accepts you, he's crazy about you and he wants you to believe the same thing that you'll, so that you'll start believing and behaving that way because he wants to be close to you. Listen, God is the one, God is close to us. It is our own mindset that we convince ourselves that he's far away. His spirit dwells within you. And so Satan anchors you to that which you were instead of that which you are today. That's why you gotta be in the scriptures. That's why, and you, you gotta rely on God's grace. And so the more you stare at who you are, the more you will become who God has said you are. That's so important for you to understand. All right, last thing, promise. It's like Noah and the ark. Everybody knows Noah and the ark. Remember, God told Noah, build an ark, build a big boat. I'm gonna send judgment. And the only way to escape my judgment is to get into the ark. So they brought all the animals in to the ark. And the Bible says God welcomed Noah and his family into the ark. And the Bible says this, that God shut them in. They didn't shut the door. God shut the door. They were safe in the ark. They were not touched by the judgment of God. And when you become Christians, we are in Christ just as the people were in the ark. And we are safe from the judgment of God and you are not condemned anymore for your sin. Amen. Amen. Walk in this way and receive the grace of God. Your behavior is determined by your identity. Your identity is not determined by your behavior. Focus on your identity in Christ. What does that mean? And you will find that God begins to do great things in your life. Some of you are in bondage because when you fail, you think that's my identity, it's not your identity. You behave that way, but your identity is you're righteous, you're holy. So run to what God says about you, run to what God has established about you. Come to him. And God is always calling us. He's always, he, he does, he convicts us when we behave in ways in which we aren't. This is a parenting thing for us in our own home. Listen, we say, hey, listen, we're kings. We follow Jesus. There are certain things, manners and, you know, attitude. And we don't slam doors, we shut doors, right? We don't, we don't holler from the basement to the top. We walk up. If we have this saying, hey, listen, if you, want, if, if, if you want my attention, you come up and you knock on my door. Don't yell and make me come down there where you are. But the reason I tell you that is when something violates who we are, we go, hey, hey, wait a minute. You're better than this. That's not who you are. You're king. We don't act this way. That's not who you are. Now, come on. Let's, let's act the way that we actually are. Let's act like God has made it. Same thing in your own life. Like, listen, yes, you know what? That's not who I am. Why did I just do that? That's not who I am. Except the enemy says, that's who you are. We said, that is not who I am because I am the righteousness of God. That is not God's righteousness. So, Lord, heal me from what I've just done. God, help me to understand. Rewire my brain to to align myself with who you say that I am, who you see that I am, and through your blood, Jesus, who you have made me to be. And that I'm going to walk in and flow from that. Amen? Amen? So God wants to do a great work in all of our lives. He wants to transform you. He wants you to understand his love and his grace. He wants you to live from his identity that he declares over you. He wants you to stop believing what you say. He wants you to stop believing the sin of Adam is greater than the righteousness and the work of Jesus. He wants you to walk in your identity that you are in Christ. He wants you to understand that all that he has for you is stems and fruit that flows from the idea that you are saved, you are are righteous you are justified and he looks at you from the eyes of justification just as if you had never sinned justified just as if I had never sinned I am justified but what happens when I sin? listen you are not acting yourself your position doesn't change though you function sometimes sinfully your position doesn't change live from your position not your behavior and God's going to do a great work in all of our lives amen? amen let's stand to our feet Friends, I love you. I'm grateful for the gospel of God's grace. And I'm grateful that he's doing a new work here today. You guys with me today? If you can, lift your hands to the Lord. I want to bless you today. Father, I pray you bless your people that they would leave here today with the understanding that it is not their righteousness, it is your righteousness. It's not what they think, it's what you think. It's not what they say, it's what you say. It's not what they do, it's what you have already done. And so God, I pray you would just bless them today. May they leave here with confidence in your love for them. In Jesus' name, we all say amen and amen. God bless you.